Hey there, it's me, Jesse Tyler Ferguson, that redheaded actor from Modern Family. I have a podcast. It's combining a couple of my favorite things, talking and food. Please join me as I dine with the biggest names in entertainment, people like Julie Bowen, Kristen Bell, Fred Armisen, and so many more. It's called Dinners on Me, and you're invited. Am I saying a chocolate souffle is going to get me to reveal all of my secrets? Yeah, I am. Listen now, wherever you get your podcasts. As we emerge from the COVID-19 pandemic and the economy rebounds, some challenges have started to crop up. And you've likely heard about the biggest one. Well, there's no uncertainty about what the number one issue in the country is, and it's inflation. Inflation is what happens when a government devalues its own currency. American concerns, the economy and the inflation are top, top, top priorities. You practically have to arrange a bank loan to, to fill up your gas tank. This is a historic inflation report and is landing just before the holidays. Inflation. 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 And inflation. Econ 101, tell us why inflation has hit a 30-year high. The U.S. is facing its biggest inflationary spike in decades as the cost of necessities like food, gas, and housing continue to climb. The rise is driven by several intertwined factors. Among them, soaring consumer demand, disrupted supply chains, and an infusion of federal aid from Congress over the past two years. Fears and warnings about the consequences of inflation have left the Biden White House in a difficult position. President Biden has acknowledged the problem. The American people, in the midst of this economic crisis, the recovery is showing strong results, but not to them. They're still looking out there. Everything from a gallon of gas to a loaf of bread costs more. And it's worrisome, even though wages are going up. But is there really a clear way out? What levers do presidents have to slow inflation? How much of our current economic situation can be attributed to Biden's policies? And what can he really do to change the course of the American economy in the months ahead? This is Can He Do That, a podcast about the powers and limitations of American government in a time of deep division. I'm Allison Michaels. To get answers about presidential power and inflation, I turn to Jeff Stein, White House economics reporter for The Washington Post. So, Jeff, we've been hearing a lot about inflation, particularly with a focus on the rising cost of food and, and gas. Can you just sort of give an overview of, of what we're seeing, what's happening? The inflationary pressures we're seeing in the economy, the highest in over 30 years, are really the result of two key factors. One is the supply side and one is the demand side. On the demand side, the federal government pumped trillions of dollars into the economy to help families get through the pandemic. It created an enormous savings glut of the kinds of which we haven't seen in decades. And that was complemented by this uh, supply chain disruption that we've been seeing really since the beginning of the pandemic, but continuing over the last year or so, particularly with this increased demand that is not really finding an outlet in the supply. And so those two factors, the supply being disrupted primarily by COVID, but also structural deficiencies in the American infrastructure system and structural deficiencies in the global financial system in which companies have scattered their supply chains all over the world. That's made it quite difficult for American companies to get the parts that they need. That combined with the level of aggregate demand we haven't seen in a long time are bidding prices upwards. COVID-19 has changed the way we spend our time and our money. More products are being delivered than ever before. That's because people have a little more breathing room than they did last year, and that's a good thing. But it also means 
We got higher demand for goods at the same time we're facing disruptions in the supplies to make those goods. There's a this is a recipe for delays and for higher prices, and people are feeling it. They're feeling it. So are we seeing these price increases in just certain sectors, or is it really happening across most of the economy? When we started emerging from the pandemic in the spring and inflation first became evident to lawmakers as a concern, it was really confined to the sectors that had cratered during the pandemic and were seeing rebounds from zero. And obviously, an increase from very, very low levels back to normal levels will look like inflation, even if it's just sort of a return to normal. And so we saw that quite significantly at the beginning in used cars and leisure and hospitality, the kinds of things that were really crippled early on by the pandemic. Now, however, we're seeing much more systemic economy-wide increases in prices of the kind that a lot of people didn't see coming in gas, food, housing. Really, all the major sectors in the economy are seeing substantial price increases. And the question is, is that just a sign that we're coming back quickly, or is that a sign of a more endemic problem that's going to bedevil the economy for the next few years? President Biden has been on the road, touting the bipartisan infrastructure bill that he signed into law earlier this week. Meanwhile, Democrats in the House are getting closer to passing his social spending agenda, the Build Back Better plan. The White House and Democratic leaders have rebranded that legislation as a fix to these rising prices. It's simple. If we want to fight inflation, if we want to create more jobs, so many businesses are short of workers, and if we want to lower costs and make sure families have more money in their pockets, the best thing, the best thing we can do is pass Build Back Better. The president and others say Build Back Better would lower the cost of prescription drugs, childcare, and overall expenses related to raising families. 14 Nobel laureates in, in economics said it'll actually bring down the cost, it will reduce the deficit, and it will be totally paid for, and it's going to reduce inflation and to meet the moment of climate change as well. But Republicans continue to argue that the legislation would worsen inflation, citing climate policies that they say would raise fossil fuel energy costs. 67% of the country, two-thirds, say Washington needs to stop printing and spending so much and driving prices even higher. Energy bills and gas prices are just one corner of this inflation crisis. But Democrats seem to want to ignore the people, plow ahead, and spend trillions more. I asked Jeff just how much of what Biden has been doing to boost the economy is actually responsible for rising prices. It's a great question. And obviously, if you would ask the Biden administration, they would say that none of the policy choices they enacted are responsible. I think it's worth keeping in mind that the demand shocks that we're seeing are the product of decisions made by both parties. President Trump and the Republican Congress worked with Democrats to approve trillions of dollars in aid, but the $1.9 trillion plan approved by Biden in March certainly contributed to higher aggregate demand. That said, the supply chain issues, which many economists think are the core problem of inflation, really are not easy to attribute to the Biden administration at all. Those are attributable to global factors and the pandemic not being solved and to structural deficiencies in American infrastructure. What I'm going to try to do is explain to the American people as best I can. And by the way, you all write for a living. I haven't seen any one of you explain supply chain very well. No, no, I'm not being critical. I'm being deadly earnest. When your editor says, explain the supply chain. Okay? 
it's hard to see exactly how the Biden administration could have fixed that. I think insofar as they've taken criticism, part of it is that they've been criticized for not doing enough to ensure that the rest of the world is vaccinated. They have not allowed developing countries to produce their own vaccines. And as a result, COVID obviously continues to be a devastating problem in much of the developing world. And that's contributing to the supply shocks that American consumers are seeing. We'll be right back after the if you're looking for a smoking gun, I can absolutely guarantee you, you will not find it. In October 2001, a series of letters filled with a deadly powder called anthrax were dropped into the U.S. mail system. What started as an unprecedented case turned into an unsettling mystery. Who sent these deadly letters and why? From Campside Media and Sony Music Entertainment, I'm Josh Dean, and this is Cover Up Season 4, The Anthrax Threat, available now break. Is it just COVID that is contributing to, to this problem? I mean, in terms of policies that have come out of the Biden administration, is there an effect of previous spending bills that have contributed to how much discretionary income Americans have, for example? I, I think it's hard for the administration to ignore at this point that their policies have led to surging demand that's contributed to the inflationary problems. I think what they would say or what they would argue is that while inflation is a problem, we are still seeing very real inflation-adjusted wage growth, particularly at the bottom of the income distribution, at the pace of the labor market. Recovery is much, much, much faster than it was during Obama. You know, there was deep, deep scarring coming out of the 2008 recession. Millions and millions of people were unemployed for years. And if the pace of the recovery that we saw in the last jobs report continues, we could be closing what economists refer to as the output gap the uh, gap between what the American economy can produce and what it is producing seems to be on track to close much more quickly than in really any other previous recession. But if the price for that is this inflationary headache that the administration is seeing, not just you know in the economic data, but in the polling that suggests huge numbers of Americans, including independents and Democrats, are very concerned about this, that suggests that maybe there was parts of the stimulus that may have been too large. See, this is what's a, a little, I think, confusing to somebody who doesn't necessarily cover this every day. But, you know, you talk about how the recovery under Obama was too slow. The recovery now under Biden is happening much more quickly. And yet Americans are sort of panicking as they see that recovery happening quickly because prices are, are rising. So why is there this disconnect between how Americans understand the role of economic recovery and the role of inflation and how these two things might need to work together to sort of pull us out of this moment? Yeah, it's not just you who's confused about that. I look at this every day and I find it really confusing and, and hard to understand. And part of the problem is that you ask 10 economists and you get 10 different answers. One theory I've heard that I find interesting and worth taking seriously is that when you look at what's happened in the economy you know, over the last year, we are seeing real wage increases for the bottom fifth, really, like the bottom chunk of workers. Their wages are increasing faster than inflation, even with inflation being up. And if you look at the top of the income distribution, you know, those in the top 20%, you see the same thing, that their wages are increasing faster than inflation. But when you look at big sections of the middle, we're not talking about rich people, but sort of the middle class, 50, 60, 70,000 a year, a lot of those people are seeing real wage declines. That when you take into account inflation, their wage increases have not been commensurate with the increased costs they're, they're facing. You look at what the American working class has been through over the last 40 years, and the Biden administration and some of his top economists have spent their whole careers devoted to the question of how do we make sure that the people at the bottom improve because they are the backbone, as Biden likes to say, of the American economy. 
But if the price of that is that the politically potent middle, the people who are, have some money and some standing in the American economy, but are not wealthy. And I think there are very troubling potential questions here that if the way to help the bottom fifth means compromising the middle, that is a very troubling trade-off to consider and one that I think policymakers might be wrestling with for a long time. But if this continues or if inflation continues at this rate, what are some of the long-term impacts that we could see on the economy? I think if we see the rate of inflation that we saw this past month, we are in a world of trouble. I think most economists don't think that will happen. But just to give a quick overview, we had in the previous two months a monthly inflation rate of 03 to 0.4%. We expected that number to keep coming down, and that had come down from the spring and summer. But then from September to August, we saw a giant jump to 0.9. That sounds like a small number, but that's per month. So annualized over the course of 12 months, that's closer to 10 to 11%. That is a really scary number. And it's scary not just because of the prices that people are paying, but the potential psychological effect is that once people start pricing in higher prices, they will demand higher wages, which will lead people to increase prices. It's a really dangerous cycle. And the reason that's so scary, according to many economists, is that it could lead the Federal Reserve, the central bank, to try to tamp down this inflation by hiking interest rates. And when the Federal Reserve hikes interest rates, it slows down economic growth. And the people who we were just talking about in the working class who have seen some gains, they could be really imperiled by that decision. Can you explain the role between the Fed and the president, sort of how much influence one has over the other? The Fed is technically independent, right? But the president chooses who runs the Fed. The shorthand people use is that Congress and the White House work together to control fiscal policy. That's how much the government spends, how much the Treasury allocates in you know, tax cuts and spending. And the central bank, the Federal Reserve, controls monetary policy, which is sort of the money supply, the amount of money in the economy, interest rates. So the lower interest rates are, the uh, cheaper it is to borrow, the more money circulates through the economy. And so there's this fear that the longer inflation goes on, the more likely the Fed will be to raise rates and slow down the recovery. So what other tools does Biden have right now to, to deal with inflation? That is a great question that we are trying to get to the bottom <laughs> of. And you can email me if you have ideas about what we should be <laughs> writing about. You know, I think the Republicans would say that this is the Biden administration's fault for approving too much fiscal stimulus. Just today, President Biden sent a letter to the FTC, the Federal Trade Commission, on gas prices, arguing essentially that there's been a pattern of anti-competitive behavior within some of the retail vendors for gas. Many economists are skeptical that that could produce short-term results to lower gas prices. There's also a lot of talk about whether the administration could sell parts of the Strategic Petroleum Reserve. There's also these interesting cross-pressures because the administration has been calling for OPEC to produce more oil. The problem with that is that it seems to cut against the administration's climate goals. Very difficult choices for the administration there. There is another set of options where some members of Congress are saying that the Biden administration should halt exports of natural gas, essentially, and crude oil. The idea there being the gas will stay here, then supply will go up and prices will go down. The problem with that is that this is a global commodity and the prices tend to be global. And so a shortage in the global supply market could just lead to price pressures elsewhere. Anyway, long way of saying that the options are not good. It's so fascinating how much of this comes down to gas prices, how this is the barometer of sort of American sentiment about the economy. Yeah. And I think there's a lot of people who like live in cities or take public transport find this to be a little bit antiquated, but tens of millions of people in the American working class still 
drive to work and this is a huge expense for them and it's something they see viscerally and visibly every day and there's almost no doubt that if those prices don't get lowered, they could be punished at the polls. There's a body of economic thinkers who believe that inflation actually isn't as big of a problem as other economists think. Can you talk a little bit about where some economists come down on thinking that inflation might not be a problem? It's not uniform among economists in thinking that this is a problem. There are economists who are looking at what's happening with the economy and the fast pace we're seeing in in the job market, the number of people who are quitting their jobs at, at all-time highs and seeing that's that's a good thing. Remembering, I think accurately, that not so long ago we were dealing or looking at deflationary pressures. And that was a really scary moment. I mean, deflation is very hard to arrest and the tools to deal with it are much more untested and harder to ensure work than reversing inflationary pressures. I think the argument from the economists who think that the inflationary story is overhyped really is contingent on this slowing down. I don't think there's any serious economist who's looking at, you know, a 10%, 11% annualized rate of inflation over time and think that that's fine or that's a healthy sign in the economy. So maybe maybe this is overstated and maybe the supply chain issues really are temporary and are a reflection of this global one-time shock. But once COVID continues to dissipate, people's spending patterns will shift and we'll get inflation back to a healthier rate. But again, I, I don't think anyone is that optimistic that this current rate of inflation would spell anything but a real meaningful challenge to most Americans. Well, speaking of not optimistic, my last question for you is about the political consequences for Biden around all of this. He's facing this really big challenge to his poll numbers, to his presidency, in large part because of inflation. How have you seen the Biden administration handling that? I think this is, from my perspective, the biggest challenge to the argument from the people who think that inflation is not that big of a deal. When you look at the polling number, this is viewed as a problem, not just by Republicans, not just by the rich or people on CNBC. This is a, viewed as a problem by vast swaths of the American working middle classes, independents, Democrats, and people are really nervous about inflation prices. And the administration has, I think, understandably tried to pivot They've been arguing that their spending plans are really the answer to these inflationary pressures and these price problems that we're seeing. Can you drive down rental prices with Biden's housing plan? Can you drive down energy prices with the clean energy revolution? And so that's the argument they're going to be leading with. These Biden spending plans that are tied up in Congress, they'll argue, will reduce the cost of most families' budgets. And that, I think, is a potentially effective argument. This has been another episode of Can He Do That? Next week, we'll publish an episode for you on Wednesday, a little bit ahead of the Thanksgiving holiday. And as always, thanks so much for listening. Can He Do That? is a team effort here at The Post. It's produced by Sharla Freeland and Arjun Singh, with logo art from Greg Manifold and theme music by Ted Muldoon. If you're looking for a smoking gun, I can absolutely guarantee you, you will not find it. In October 2001, a series of letters filled with a deadly powder called anthrax were dropped into the U.S. mail system. What started as an unprecedented case turned into an unsettling mystery. Who sent these deadly letters and why? From Campside Media and Sony Music Entertainment, I'm Josh Dean, and this is Cover Up Season 4, The Anthrax Threat, available now. 